I only have a certain amount of time, and I'm long-winded to begin with. Um, if you have your Bibles, we'll start simple, Psalm 23. If you've got a background in church, you have a coffee cup with that on it, but go ahead and, and open up uh, your Bible to uh, the 23rd Psalm. I'm, I'm glad to be here for so many reasons that it could be a sermon in and of itself, uh, but that's not what uh, I believe the Lord wants me uh, to share with you about. I've got to do some deconstruction with you, uh, and at certain points that might be painful, but I promise you, uh, I'm here for your joy. I, I wouldn't have got on a plane. I, I wouldn't have left my beautiful babies. I, I wouldn't have uh, thought and prayed and fasted about whether or not even to be here if I didn't feel like I was supposed to come here for your joy. So I, I am not against your joy. I'm for your joy, but listen to me. I didn't say happiness. Because happiness and joy are not the same thing. You get that, right? right? Because happiness can be taken from you in a second. Everyone in this room has had a day that was unbelievably happy. The weather was perfect. It wasn't a night. You're standing out there trying not to die, all right? But, but ultimately, you've had a day, you've had a moment, you've had a season where there was this exponential amount of happiness in your life, but ultimately, you don't control happiness. Uh, it takes one comment, one smart alecky um, jab, uh, one thing to go wrong, one breakdown in your car, uh, one person at your work. All it takes is one thing and your happiness is gone. So look at me. I, I am not interested in boosting, encouraging, or helping your happiness because I believe it's cheap and I believe it will not sustain you for the journey that God has you on. So what I am for and what I am after is your joy. And, and sometimes getting to joy stings. And so if some of this stings tonight, know that ultimately I come as an ambassador of Christ for your joy. And so with that said, uh, let's get to work. We, we have to, uh, if we're going anywhere tonight, we've got to get to the bottom uh, of what's going on here. And so uh, I know some of you think that's more simple than others of you. Uh, some of you think, well, you know, Chandler's called Court Orange Revival. You're supposed to preach. We'll listen. We'll cheer you on. We'll clap. We'll sing some songs. and It'll be epic. All right. And, and, but what I'm saying is we've got to get past even that. Like, here's what I'm saying. Uh, we've got to get past Code Orange Revival, we've got to get past Elevation Church, we've got to get past Pastor Furtick. I'm not saying those things are bad or wrong. I, I love all of those things. What I'm telling you is we've got to get underneath all of that so we can gaze upon what's actually going on. And so what we've got to look at not is uh, what's going on here, but really what is God doing and what is God about? Because if we can't get there... Uh, then again, I mean, you're, you're, you're going to be at a superficial plane that will not sustain you when it comes time for it to be your turn. Do you know what I mean by that? Your, your turn? And, and what I mean by your turn is you live long enough, you'll bleed. You, you live long enough, you'll experience loss. You, you, you live long enough, your strength will fail you. All right, and, and so you, I, I'm not making that up, all right? I'm a young man, but, but I, I know that the book of Ecclesiastes in the last chapter, chapter 12, says there'll be a day, if you make it to that long, that you'll wake up and you hate that you woke up. That you'll live to a point that you're frustrated that you're still uh, alive. Now, I'm looking around the room, man. I, there's not a lot of that in here. All right, all right, what's in here is a lot of, that'll never happen to me, all right? There's a lot of that, and then there's some of you that are a little bit older, and what I mean by that is when you talk about how good you were back then, you were a lot better than you actually were. All right, because when you can't do what you used to be able to do, you just embellish what you used to be able to do. And so that's where some of you are, all right? And then some of you don't even care. 
That's where you are. You're like, man, I don't care. I don't even tell stories. All right. Now, um, so what we've got to do is we've got to kind of get underneath it all and look at what God's doing. And what I mean by that is not um, that he's holding all things together by the word of his mouth, although that's in the word of God and that's spectacular. It's not that he's saving people, although that he is there. There's something underneath even all of that that if we'll grab onto tonight, I promise you, you'll get set free from you. And that's the best news in the universe. All right. So um, here's what we've got to do. If we're setting out to answer the question, what is God doing? What is God about? What is the mission of God ultimately? Uh, it's been my experience that if you gather um, non-believers, they have a whole list of things that they do. And don't, well, what, what God's after is he doesn't want me to do that and he doesn't want me to do this and I better not do this. And if I do this, I'll probably get this. And, and they've got kind of this Greek, Romanian, Zeus-like picture where if you break the rules, you get lightning bolted. And, and that's kind of what they think about what God's doing. He's kind of Santa, he's look, making a list, he's checking it twice, and that's who he is. And then if you talk to um, a lot of evangelicals, their, their misconception is just as bad. And the misconception is that ultimately God is all about us, and, and, and he's about me, and the whole thing exists because of me. And so God was lonely in the beginning, and so what he did is he created me for fellowship, because who wouldn't want to create a bunch of incompetent, non-loving, adulterous, idolatrous, disobedient children to call their own. And nobody's going to say it that way, but that's what we're saying. So what's God doing? God's working me. That, that's what God's doing. So, so God looks at all his massive creation, goes, these people are legit. He is in awe of our greatness. And, and listen, there's some people that can play this game with the Bible, because here, here's what I'll tell you. We, we can go, I can show you where God loves you. I mean, I can take you and show you where God has blessed you and longs to bless you, and I can take you to places in the Scripture that show just this passion about you that God has. But my case is that if you look at those texts closely, there's an underlying motive in his love for you. So I want to give you yes and amen. Yes, Jesus loves you. Yes, Jesus is for you. Yes, Jesus is um, providing for you. There's provision for you in the cross. There's love for you in those things. But ultimately, God's motivation in all of that isn't so you and him can be boys. All right, let me, let me show you because I know some of you are like, I read your bio. You haven't been to seminary. I'm not buying it. So let's go. <laughs> Psalm 23, School of Mary. Let's go. Psalm 23, starting in verse one, the Lord is my shepherd. That sounds for me, doesn't it? Sound like he's into me. He's going to lead me the way. I mean, I don't know. I'm guessing there's not a lot of sheep herders in here, but, but, but ultimately um, that the shepherd watches over the sheep. Here's where we go to eat. Here's where we go to sleep. He's, he's, his job is to take care of the sheep. His job in essence is the sheep, that's his job. That's what he does. That's what he is uh, about. And so the Lord is my shepherd. So what's the Lord about? The Lord is about me. The Lord is for me. The Lord is after me. The Lord is watching over me. It's in the text. Now let's keep going. I shall not want. What a great gift that line is. I won't be in want. The, the deepest needs of my heart and my soul will be satisfied in my shepherd. Let's keep going. He makes me, I love that. He makes me lie down in green pastures. So you can lie down or you can be made to lie down. All right, don't, don't, don't feather Jesus's hair, all right? You'll bow or you'll bow. 
All right, let's keep going. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Listen to this. He leads me beside still waters. That's peace. He brings us into peace. And watch this. He restores my soul and he leads me in paths of righteousness. So now this sounds like God is really into me. I mean, he's leading me beside still water. I mean, come on, who does that if they're not into you? He's leading me in the paths of righteousness. But look at why. Look at the motivation in God's heart for all of the shepherding and reviving and restoring. He leads me in paths of righteousness for what reason? For his name's sake. So God's motivation behind his shepherding you, his provision for you, his love for you, his passion about you, really the motive in all of that isn't that you're great, it's that he's great. So the motivation is his glory, his name, his renown. And this is what you're going to see over and over and over again in the Bible in a way that God does not feel need uh, to apologize for. Let me, let me show you what I mean here. Um, uh, through all of this, I know this idea that God isn't about you, God is about God, kind of jostles our heart a little bit um, because everything in our culture actually is preaching the exact opposite. Everything in our culture is you deserve it and it's for you and, and this should happen. If it doesn't happen for you in this way, you have the right to be angry about that. And everything in our culture says you're the man. Everything in our culture is you are intrinsically valuable. You are, you are varsity. That's what you are. You're not JV. In fact, if someone tells you you're JV, all right, that's a slap in your spectacularly unique and beautiful face. <laughs> so it jostles us a bit because nobody is saying that. Unfortunately, it doesn't get preached very much either. Fortunately, it doesn't get preached very much either. So let me, let me show you what I mean by this. In Isaiah 43, you just stay there where you are. It says that God created us for his glory. In Isaiah 49, that God called Israel for his glory. In Psalm 106, that God rescued Israel from Egypt for his glory. That God raised up Pharaoh to show his power and glorify his name. That's Romans 9, very unpopular chapter. God defeated Pharaoh at the Red Sea to show his glory. God spared Israel in the wilderness for the glory of his name. That's Ezekiel 20. God gave Israel victory in Canaan for the glory of his name. Why did he drive out that people? In fact, he tells Israel something we need to remember. He literally comes to Israel and goes, I'm not driving them out because you guys are awesome. You are a stiff-necked, rebellious people. I'm driving them out because I'm awesome. Let me keep going. I could stop. I can't. I got time. I'm on a clicker here. All right. God gave Israel victory in Canaan for the glory of his name. That's 2 Samuel 7. 1 Samuel 12. God did not cast away his people for the glory of his name. Go ahead and tuck that one in. We'll come back. All right. He does not throw his people away for the glory of his name. We'll come back. All right. Um, in Ezekiel 36, God restored Israel from exile for the glory of his name. John 7, 18, Jesus sought the glory of his father in all that he did. In Matthew 5, 16 and 1 Peter 2, 12, we see that Jesus tells us to do good works for the glory of his name. All right, I'll, I'll keep going. Some of you are still skeptical, okay? Um, in John 14, Jesus said that he answers prayer that God may be glorified. In John 12 and John 17, Jesus endures his final hours of suffering for the glory of God. In Romans 3, 25 through 26, God gave his son to vindicate the glory of his righteousness. Do you understand that one? Yes. Let me try to unpack it just a little bit. Does anybody ever have a problem with the fact that God just forgave David without Jesus? 
I mean, was, was he not a adulterer and a murderer? Doesn't it make God unjust if God goes, you know what, don't worry about it. Yeah, I mean, you slept with another man's wife, impregnated her, and then had her murdered. But you know what? I'm not holy like that. Don't worry about it. We're cool. I've done some shady stuff. No, God's ferociously holy. So, so why can, how in the world is it possible for God to be, uh, uh, for David to be a man after God's own heart? He's such a bum. Now, I can play the heart, but you're not going to bring that up because he's killed lions with his hands. All right, so you can pop off about that, but he could rip you in half. So how's it possible? Because Jesus Christ is going to vindicate the forgiveness of all our brothers in the Old Testament, all our sisters in the Old Testament. Let's keep going. I want to set up shop there, but we don't have the time. John 16, 14, the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to glorify the Son of God. Why do you have the Holy Spirit? To glorify the Son of God. All right. God instructs us honestly to do everything for the glory of God. Have you ever tried to, um, you ever tried to implement 1 Corinthians 10, 31? Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all things to the glory of God. You ever thought about how to do that? Like, how do you eat breakfast to the glory of God? How do you uh, drive your car to the glory of God? How do you, I mean, this is the command. Right? It's not a suggestion. Look, hey guys, if you get a chance, try to do everything to glorify me. It's not, it's not a suggestion. Do everything for my glory. A couple more. God tells us to serve in a way that will glorify him. That's 1 Peter 4. Jesus is coming again for the glory of God. That's 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Jesus' ultimate aim for us is that we see and enjoy his glory. That's John 17. Habakkuk chapter 2, spectacular, that the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord like the waters cover the seas. I don't know if you've been out in the sea, but there's water everywhere. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if you've paid attention like that, but everywhere on the sea, there's water. And Habakkuk in chapter two says the glory of God is going to do this. It's going to cover the earth like the waters cover the sea. And that we put our hope there. We put our, our, our um, satisfaction there. Everything that happens will redound to the glory of God. That's Romans chapter 11. That's a hard one for people. Everything will redound to the glory of God. And in the new Jerusalem, the glory of God replaces the sun. Man, if you chew on that one for a little while, that's Revelation 21, 23. If you chew on that, think of all that the sun does for us. Without it, there is no life. But Jesus says, when I make all things new, we don't need that gaseous ball anymore. I got it. I'll handle it. I'll be your light. I'll make it grow. I'll make you warm. I'll make you what the sun does. I will do. And that's what you see. Now, now flip over to Ephesians chapter one. Ephesians chapter one. Now, um, what you see in the Bible is this is from Genesis to Revelation, the, the story of the Bible, that God, for the glory of his name, is reconciling and reclaiming all things to himself. So this is what you've got to get. I want to try to help you here with something that's pretty big, pretty epic. All right, so look right at me. The Bible's not about you. Bible's about Jesus. See, there's two ways to kind of look at it. There's some people that go, this Bible's the roadmap to life. Now, I understand what they're saying. So if you've heard that from your guy, great. Uh, th this is in some ways uh, a roadmap of what we should do, where we should go. What, but, but ultimately, you can't call it the roadmap to life. All right now, I want to be straight. There's some maps. <laughs> there, there are some maps. Like right here, I've got Paul's first missionary journey. 
And then I believe that's the Temple Mount. And then this is just, it's the Middle East today. Uh, so there are maps back there, but ultimately it's not the roadmap to life. And if you think that way, you'll read the Bible wrong. Uh, what you'll do is you'll keep, now let me, here's what you, you'll keep infusing yourself into the stories of the Bible like you're the hero. And this happens all the time. All right, so I, I mean, I want to be straight. I love you enough to be straight. You're not David. All right? Your trouble in life is not Goliath. And if that's true, you're in a lot of trouble, bro, because you miss. Now you fling your stones and you miss, and Goliath's still there. And now what? Well, I had five. You'll miss all five. So if you view the scriptures through that lens that really all the superheroes in the Bible are actually you, then man, you put a weight on your shoulders that, listen to me, you will not be able to bear. Jesus, David, Jesus is the greater David. Jesus is the greater Moses. Jesus is the greater Abraham. It's a whole point of the book of Hebrews. That Jesus is the greater than. So... So if you want to do this, I mean, you want to dig in. So that means Jesus is going to be David. Goliath is going to be, and this is all overstatement. David's a historical figure, all right? Um, Jesus is going to be David in this shadow. Goliath is going to be sin and death. Who's that make you? Huh? And it doesn't make you the Israelites in the corner going, he's going to kill all of us. That's exactly who you are. All right, so let's make sure we're playing the right part in the story. All right, so it jostles the spirit a little bit, but I want to show you one more verse because this one, is going to help us get, golly, I'm just, I'm still in my intro. Um, <laughs> people at the village are used to this. It's like, oh Lord, get comfortable. Uh, Ephesians 1, we're going to pick it up in verse 3. I want you to see this. Some scary words in here, but I'm going to try to help you not be afraid. Ephesians chapter 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, now, that's a spectacular verse. Every? All of them? In the heavenly places? So, so let's make sure we see correctly. It's not that he's given me every material blessing. All right? Because, again, doesn't Jesus clearly say, hey, man, moths can eat that. Rust is going to get that. In fact, here, again, I love you enough. Look at me. Everything you own is the stuff of future garage sales, junkyards, and dumps. All right? Everything. In fact, we move so fast right now that that thing you love, your little um, phone, will be obsolete by the time we get out of here. All right? By the time we leave, you'll need an upgrade. So let's keep going. Um, God the Father has blessed us with everything through Jesus Christ. And now listen to this. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us. Don't get worried about that word, all right? Predestined just means to determine beforehand. You work it out. Let's do work, all right? I'm not here for that. In love, he predestined us, listen to this, for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. Now listen to six. Six is huge to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in his beloved. So I, I want you to get your head around this text. The United States Navy moved my family from the Bay Area, from San Francisco, California, to Galveston, Texas. That is nasty. It's like God's wrath. 
Okay, and when we moved there, uh, I joined um, the football team and ended up lockering next to a guy who was so aggressive about his faith that I just respected it, even though I thought he was a bit crazy. So, I mean, I'm putting on my gear the first day, new kid in school, and Jeff Faircloth walks up to me. He's like, hey, man, I need to tell you about Jesus when you want to do that. (laughs) So I love that he was going to let me decide where, but it was happening. (laughs) All right, when you want to do it, bro. I mean, it's happening. You want to do it now? You want to do it after practice? You want to go grab something to eat? <laughs> but but here's, what, here's what's crazy for me to think about. That that's how God began to woo, and that's how God began to call, and that's how God began to draw me unto himself through all the ridiculousness that I saw with believers who would um, wear their Lord's Gym t-shirt. Do you remember that one? Um, some of you, again, I, I referred to age earlier. Some of you are with me. Some of you are not. And, um, and, and so I saw a lot of people that went to church and a lot of people who uh, wore a little beaded bracelet that, you know, the black was for sin and the red was for the blood. And, and, and then that turned it white and they wore that bracelet, but um, were at the same parties that I was, were doing the same things that, that I was doing. And, and so Jeff was a different cat for me, man. He, he, I mean, he was just in fuego for the Lord and didn't care that people mocked him and made fun of him. And I mean, he didn't care. It's like he, it made him more powerful. It's like it emboldened him. I mean, the more you tried to shame him, he, it was like food. I mean, it, it's literally it was like creatine monohydrate, all right? He just got swole up on it spiritually. <laughs> and so God began to, but here's my thought, that, that God came after me. I didn't come after God. I didn't chase after him. He chased after me, all right? The United States government decided to move my family, but the prophet Isaiah said men move by the hand of God. And, and so God drew me to Texas by moving my family and put me in next to a locker to a senior when I was not. And he started wooing me. And you know why? It wasn't because I have crazy vocal folds, all right? Wasn't because I can yell. Wasn't because I was quick-witted, all right? That's not why he called me. According to this text, he had Jeff Faircloth proclaim the word of God to me and captured my heart by the power of his Holy Spirit for the praise of his glorious grace. He don't want Matt gloried in. He wants to be gloried in. And so he saved me to make much of him. That's what he did. And, and honestly, I think the spectacular thing about how God uses guys is he tends to use the guys that it doesn't make a lot of sense to use them. Man, I have no great pedigree. I mean, my wife's here. She, she tell you, I can't spell. <laughs> See? <laughs> so I, I'm not an intellect. I'm not a brilliant man. Right? God said, you know what? I'm going to make much of me through you. Let's go. And, and I'm going to make you bleed along the way. I'm going to wound you a bit because I love you so much. I can't have you getting all puff-headed. So I'm going to wound you. And, and I'm going to give you tears. I'm going to give you enemies. I'm going to give you all those things because I love you so much. And so God saved me and he saved you for the praise of his glorious grace. Now, I want to do two things as I begin to wrap up. And that means I'm halfway done. (laughs) Um, I want to tell you why it's such good news that God is for God over God being for you. I'm not saying he's not for you. I'm saying his motivation behind being for you is the sake of his own name. 
So I want to tell you why that's good news. Because like I said, I think that can jostle some of us. And maybe some of you, you don't have a lot of background in church. You, you got invited. I mean, somebody straight duped you into this place. Like, hey, you want to grab something to eat? Sure. Here. And then gave you like a hot pocket. All right. Just completely duped you into this joint tonight. You were waiting outside. You're like, is this a new restaurant? When did they build this? All right. And they're liars. They shouldn't have done that to you. But you're in. All right. Now, um, let me tell you why this is such good news. Since God is for himself, over and above being for you, there are two huge pieces that we need to really get our soul around for the sake of our own joy. All right, here's the first one. Since God is for God and God is ultimately about the praise of his glorious grace, look at me, God is not after my begrudging submission but after my joy. God is ferociously about my joy because the more I enjoy him, the more his grace is gloried in. So God's not after me going, oh, I better do what he says or he'll send me to hell. Hell isn't a place or heaven isn't a place for people who are afraid of hell. It's a place for people who love God. It's not the same. So God wants me to enjoy him. And so look at me because this is the one that throws people off. That's why he gives me the law. So we talk bad about the law in our day. Talk about the law and those Pharisees, those law doers. L listen, um, the law was delight. Didn't David lay on his bed and just delight, sing about the law? Didn't he, didn't he say that? Didn't he stay awake late at night? Couldn't even sleep. He's just delighting in the law of the Lord. Now I'll tell you why. Since God is for God and God is not after your begrudging submission, all the commands of God are meant to lead you into greater life and greater joy and to line you up with how he designed things to work rather than your way, which doesn't work. All right, so when God says, this is how marriage works, that, that's not a suggestion. He's not trying to bully anybody. He's going, look, I made the thing. I get it. I know how this works because catch this. It was my idea. And so when he does that with sex and he does that with money and he does that with rest and he does that, God's going, here's how I designed it to work. And greater life, John 10, 10, is found in your obedience to how I wired the universe to work rather than how you think the universe can work when he's already established that you're a bit of a, uh, forgive me, moron. Right? I mean, is anybody a worse enemy to you than you are? Has anyone lied to you more than you've lied to you? Anyone broken promises to you more than you've broken promises to you? No, you're the problem. And, and what we see is that God's law leads us into life. Now, here's what I know is happening. All right? I've been a pastor a long time. I'm a preacher, but I'm also a shepherd. I love my, my people like, like Stephen loves the people of Elevation and, and see. And, and so uh, ultimately, here's what, here's what I know is happening. Like I know some of you right now are going, well, he doesn't know, I, he doesn't know my wife. I'm married crazy. I guarantee if he knew my husband, my wife, he knew what, what was going on in my work, he knew my financial situation, then he would have added an appendice to the back of the book with my name in it. And let me, let me encourage you this way. Really? R really? 
Uh, how about we take that marriage to the crazy spouse and let's move it over to the picture of what it's supposed to be Christ and his church. Who's the crazy one in that relationship? And yet I see one being unbelievably faithful. So the reason why we run into the commands of God with joy it's because we believe that they're leading to greater life, leading to greater joy. We've pushed all our chips in and we delight in the law of the Lord. Now, you're not going to keep that law perfectly, which brings us to our second and biggest implication of God being about God. If God is about God, look right at me, then you are not the center of the universe. Now breathe out, breathe out. All right, can I, let me press a little bit. Almost all the conflict in your life is predicated and built upon your belief that the world's about you. The reason you get angry in traffic is because the world's about you. Get out of the left lane. The, the reason why there's conflict in your marriage because the world's about you, so your spouse had better be doing these things. Why? Because the world's about you. Why are you in conflict at work? Because the world's about you. How dare they say that to you? How dare they do that? How, how dare they take that from you? How dare they not give you the honor you're due? See, you see what's happening? It's about you. And the more the world's about you, the more angry and tired you'll be. And the more it's not about you, more free you are. So listen, if, if ultimately when I come home, um, my marriage is about Jesus Christ and there is a grace there, there's a forgiveness there, there's a patience there, and there is a mercy there. If my marriage is not about the gospel of Jesus Christ, but rather it is about me, then there's expectation there. Isn't there? I mean, there's some things that better be done. I don't want to hear that woman. That's what happens if it's about me. It's about me. I start talking about my happiness and what I'm doing, what I'm owed. Or my wife does, but if it's about him, then I'm free. If my money's about him, then I'm free. If pastoring this church, proclaiming the gospel is about him, then, then I'm free. So I don't, if I come into a place like elevation's just ridiculous, man. I mean, I just feel like since I landed, people are like rubbing my shoulders and carrying my bags. And it's like, put me down. I can walk, right? I mean, it's just ridiculous. All right, but here's the thing. I, I'll sleep on your couch. I mean, I'm not going to, but I would, all right? Got me a nice room. I'm staying in that room tonight, Pastor. But, um, but, but ultimately, I, I don't need that. I'm not in it for that. I'm not the point. So I always get uncomfortable with some of the, oh, man, you changed my life. Man, I didn't do anything. Tell you what, I studied some stuff and I yelled at you. And you're a bit masochistic because you wanted me to do that. Now you're, call me a moron again. Okay, moron. All right. And, and so when it's not about, like, let me give you a biblical example of this freedom. The Apostle Paul, just an untouchable man. I mean, you just couldn't do anything to him. Just unfazed. And this is a man that was hard-pressed. All right. This was a man that was in prison and beaten and left for dead on more than one occasion. All right. Shipwrecked twice. Maybe even three. Shipwrecked three times. Like, look, man, my plane goes down. I'm not, I'm not, I'm, I'm driving. 
three-time shipwreck. And then one of my favorites, he shipwrecked, gets to an island, gets bit by a snake. Now, at what point are you not going, Lord, are you serious? I'm doing your work. Uh, but you couldn't touch him, right? We'll kill you. To die is gain. We'll leave you alone to live as Christ. We'll torture you. Well, I do not compare the sufferings of this world to be compared to the future glory. We'll put you in prison. Well, give me a hymnal. I'm going to convert all your guards and sing to worship. And I'm done. So how's that possible? That, that's possible because his righteousness was a foreign righteousness. It wasn't his own. It was given to him in Jesus Christ. See, so if I could um, take this whole message and kind of just um, boil it down and condense it into its purest form, here's simply what we're celebrating here, that despite me, despite my continued failures, despite my shortcomings and foolish heart, God, because of the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ to me and his wrath absorbing death on the cross and his resurrection now sees me as perfect and spotless and holy and not because I am, but because he is, which is why Ephesians 2 is going to say that even the faith I had to believe in the grace was given to me by God. So I honestly had nothing to boast in. Like I couldn't even say, well, I believed because the belief given to me was actually a gift. So that God so owns the glory that everything is his. That's why no one should walk with a swagger in the kingdom and no one should walk with a limp. Because we're his. And so let me, let me tell you where I think we might be in a bit of a danger. You, you guys, and I'm speaking specifically now to Elevation, uh, you guys are in a bit of a place that the village has been, that's the church uh, I pastor, in that we, we just grew fast and, and we just tried stuff and we prayed a lot and fasted a lot and then just tried to roll things out and people just kept coming. We turned away weekend after weekend after weekend. We were doing six services at once in one little location and we're turning away from all six. And so we built a, you know, another building and just filled and then we had you know, we went multi-site and they filled. And, then, uh, and so he, here's what you need to be careful of. Of. Don't, don't touch it. Keep your hands off it. Uh, there should be any um, chest beating in here. Shouldn't be, listen, look at me. Your way is a way. It is not the way. Okay? And, and so I think God is for you, and I think God loves you, and I think he delights in you, and he's going to shepherd you, and he's going to lead you, but he's going to do it all to make much of himself and, and to point people towards himself. So just be careful, because Romans 1 tells us we, uh, our old man, our, our old man wants to have creation rather than the creator, the old man inside of us. It thinks we're smarter than God, and the old man inside of us fails to acknowledge God. And before you know it, just with a little shift here and a little drift there. God did these things and his name's still on it. But, but really that pastor Stephen, I mean, it was kind of his vision. It was kind of his deal. Boy, that lead team, you know, Chunk was lights out. I mean, that kid's just sick. And then all of a sudden that worship and we have the best worship in the world. We've got the, you know, and, and before long, you can weave these things into your culture and your ethos that are opposed to the things of God. And so when I pray for you and I pray for your pastor and I pray for these this place, this is where my prayers are, that God would protect you. Israel never did well with blessing. Never did well with blessing. 
tended to do real well with a whack to the head. So I'd rather that not be your story. Now, if God wants to do it, let him do it. And, and there'll be joy even there. But, but hear me. Yes, God loves you. But ultimately, God is after the praise of his glorious grace. God is about God. So, so let, me, let me speak to a couple of different groups. Um, maybe you're in here um, tonight and, and you're watching and you, um, you've been in church for a long time. You've got a background in church. Like you, you know it. You can speak straight up Christianese. I mean, you know it. If I ask you how you, how you are tonight, you would say blessed. Hey, you, you knew when you were supposed to raise your hand in the song and when you weren't. All right. You know that you should be taking note. Like that's you. But if we were straight, like if you and me could sit down and, and we were straight, man, you are exhausted. You are exhausted because you are continuing to try to earn a righteousness that, look at me, you will never earn. Now, get this. The law was given. Look at me. Because you can't. You get that? The reason you've got the law is because you can't. And in your can't, you're going to seek out a savior. So watch. We'll go easy. Um, Anybody ever told a lie in here? Okay, we're just doing Ten Commandments. Look at me. That doesn't mean you lie. That means you're a liar. All right, so let's get our terms right. I don't, I'm not a liar, I've just lied. No, you're a liar. Selah. All right, now, you are a thief, you are an adulterer, and I know some of you are quick to go, man, I don't touch anybody in my wife. Okay, but doesn't Jesus kind of take that out from under you in, in the Sermon on the Mount? You have heard it said, do not commit um, adultery, but I say, if you've lusted after another person, you've committed the same sin. Everybody always wants to hang out. I never killed anybody. Maybe you have, but most of us are saying, I've never killed anyone. All right, but, but Jesus is going to go, man, if you're filled with rage, you're not free. Look, you're infinitely guilty, but Christ has made a way. Our hope as believers in Christ is not in our embitterment, but rather in Christ's perfection. So you need to hear me say this to you right now. God is not in love with some future version of you. It's not you tomorrow that he loves and delights in. It's not you when you get your act together. Listen, and if you believe that, you are an idolater. If you believe that Christ's love for you is a future love for you, then you dismiss the cross of Christ. Have you ever thought about the cross this way? Cross, the cross of Christ is this glaring acknowledgement that we're all screw-ups. This glaring acknowledgement that you're going to fall short and I'm going to fall short and I'm not going to measure up and I'm never going to get to perfection like I need to get to perfection. And even if I could get to perfection, I'd have all that imperfection behind me. Doesn't the cross go, yeah, I know. Then the cross say, yeah, I've made provision. I've handled that. And, and maybe, you're, maybe you're in here, man. You're, you wouldn't call yourself a believer at all. You, you just... I mean, I don't know, man. You just got drawn into this joint. You got suckered in. Well, I want you to hear me say this to you. I don't really care what your background is. I don't know where you've come. Because I think some of you are hearing me tonight and you're like, not me, man. You don't know me, man. Where are you from? You don't know what I've been through. You don't know what I've done. You don't know the carnage I've laid behind me, the people I've hurt, the hearts I've broken. You don't know the shambles that is my world right now. But I can tell you this, according to the word of God, you are junior varsity in your sinning. I've already used one tonight in David. Like if, if we were straight with one another and I was like, anybody ever committed adultery with another man's 
wife or another um, uh, husband's wife, I, I think there'd probably be some hands that went up. And, and then I could go, and then did you have their spouse murdered? And most of us then would put our hands down. But in Jesus Christ, as we already covered, God delighted in David and actually said, this is a man after my own heart. So see, you might be a sinner, but you're junior varsity. Um, anyone ever imprisoned, beat, and murdered believers in Jesus Christ because they proclaimed his gospel? Go ahead, it's, it's free. If you did that, go ahead and raise your hand. Okay, but that was a man named Saul who ended up writing 70% of the New Testament by the power of the Holy Spirit and who was so powerful in the Lord that his handkerchief and apron would heal people. I mean, like when I pray for sick people, I mean, I believe, I'm a believer, man. I put my hands on, I'm like, Jesus, you let them get up and walk. That Paul is like, get up. You're not sick. You come with, I mean, just ridiculous, right? And, and this is a man um, who was such an enemy of God that he would later say his whole salvation was to show you you hadn't gone too far. That's what he writes to Timothy. All right, God saved me, the chief of sinners, so that in the coming age, like in the future, men would know how patient and loving God is. Look at me. There's no sin in your life, past, present, or future, that has more power than the cross of Jesus Christ. None. So if you're a church person, but not a Jesus person, my heart hurts for you. It's like being engaged and never getting married. It's miserable. Man, if you're not a believer in here and the reason you haven't believed and the reason you haven't surrendered your life to Jesus Christ is because you just don't feel like he would have you. You, you feel like you've gone too far. I'm, I mean, he flew me all the way from Dallas just to tell you, you, you hadn't. And that's not because you're awesome, because you're not awesome. Like God's going to agree with you. Yeah, you really have blown it in some major, major ways. So majorly have you blown it that Christ absorbed your wrath on the cross. So serious was your transgressions against the holy God of the, the universe that a price had to be paid. But the good news is the price has been paid and the resurrection shows us it was paid in full, which is why Romans 8 says there's no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ. Not past, not present, not future. No condemnation for those of us who are in Christ. And so the invitation that was extended to me so many years ago in Galveston, Texas is alive for you tonight to humble yourself before a living God and pray and ask for his salvation. He gives freely to those who will ask of it, freely for those who will humble themselves in repentance and ask for mercy. And so please get set free tonight. Let go of all that anger. Let go of unforgiveness and bitterness. And I don't want to shortchange. Some of you have been legitimately hurt. Some of you have been legitimately taken advantage of. You have been abused and beaten and broken. And there have been things that happened that wounded your soul deeply. I'm not minimizing any of that. But, but what I'm telling you is there's not a wound that he can't heal. But if you are hell-bent, and I meant it that way, to hold on to that anger and hurt and bitterness, you'll get the fruit of that poison. And if you'll let it go and trust God, what do I mean by trust God? Uh, I mean that the same grace afforded to you will be afforded to the perpetrator or the wrath that was due you that Jesus absorbed will be put on the perpetrator. But you have no need for vengeance because vengeance is the Lord's. That, again, you're free. So man, don't, don't play the religious game. 
please don't do that. Jesus knows. You know there's no such thing as secrets, right? You got no secrets? You don't think God knows what's happening when it's just you and your computer and no one else? You don't think God knows what you're doing when you're not here raising your hands when you're supposed to and taking notes because that's what we do? Clapping and raising your hands? You, you, you don't think God knows? Like you, you think he doesn't see that well? You think he just kind of looks when we gather? Looks like everybody's here and doing great. <laughs> Man, he, he knows. Again, I want to keep pointing you to the death of Jesus Christ. It's this evidence that God knows. And since he knows, shouldn't we confess and repent and come clean and run into the love that's been afforded to us in Jesus Christ? Now look at me. I'm going to say this, and I promise you I'm going to pray. Here's the toughest part about being a preacher and a pastor. Like some of you, you're just not tired enough yet. Like some of you, you're just smarter than me, man. You are. You're just smarter than me, and and you're going to be the one. You're going to be the one who does it your way and gets different results. And, and because I'm a pastor of a very large church, I can tell you that some of this, you'll have to absolutely train wreck your first marriage. And then you'll be able to hear. Some of you, God loves you so much and is so ferociously for you, he is going to light you up. And it'll be the most gracious, merciful thing he has ever done for you. Some of you are going to get really bad sick and it'll be an act of love. Some of you are going to experience loss that'll break your heart open. And, and that'll be the love of God towards you. So how about we not go that route? Well, we humble ourselves before the Lord. And if we're not feeling humble before the Lord, why don't we ask him to humble us? Why don't we ask him to work in us? God responds when his people cry out and ask for mercy. Let's, let's go that route. I don't want to be on a horse to Damascus and have the Lord blind me, stick a thorn in me the rest of my life. I'd rather just humble myself. He draws near to those who humble themselves, but he knows the proud from afar. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, I just ask that you do a work that I cannot I know at the end of the day, I can look at a text and I can communicate, but at best, I'm a motivator. You, though, can transform hearts. And so I ask not that we be conformed to a pattern of religion. I pray against any, I'll do better, I'll try harder, I'll work more efficiently, but that rather we would just turn our eyes on you like we sang earlier, we'd look full in your wonderful face. We'd look upon your mercy. We would look upon your grace. We'd look upon your forgiveness. And in that, the stronghold of sin might be broken. In that, the, the stranglehold of the flesh would, would give way under the new affection that we have for you. And so do a work in us tonight, Jesus. Do a work in us, Holy Spirit. Set us free from religious practices that in the end are filled with duty but no delight, that aren't motivated out of love but have us trying to earn an approval that's already been purchased. Pray that you'd set us free from ourselves. We'd just be able to breathe out and and rest in your delight in us in the cross that you see us as holy, as perfect, as spotless, but not because we are, but because you are. And and so Jesus, we celebrate you tonight. We celebrate your perfect life. You give to us your righteousness. You take from us our unrighteousness. 
Your resurrection shows the transaction's complete. So I pray that we'd find good rest in that tonight, Jesus. And it's for your beautiful name. Amen. Love you guys. Thank you.